DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. I am really excited and honored uh, to have the CEO of Walk West, Abba Bowers. Abba, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Donald. We're going to get into business and your perspective on on all things marketing and things of that nature. But I'd like our audience to get to know you a little bit as an individual. Talk to us a little bit about some things about you that might not show up on your LinkedIn profile. What may not show up uh, is that my favorite job uh, that I've ever had that I will ever have is being a mother to two young children. I have an almost five and seven year old keeping me very busy on my toes. But I'll tell you, the best thing about having them is they teach me new things every day that I can apply into the business world. (laughs) I am a nutrition coach. Um, I have a big, big passion in wellness. The background on that is I had experienced some pretty intense postpartum. And I found that nutrition and exercise really helped me change that narrative. Um, So my focus is becoming a nutritionist to help other people. And I'm currently studying to be a certified personal trainer. That is fantastic. So mom, CEO, nutrition coach, and all of these things meld. And it's going to drive me to an initial question, right? We're all wondering in the busy times of trying to keep it all together. And we talk about work-life balance or work-life integration. What are some of the things you do to not just keep balls in the air, 
but to make sure you're present in the areas of your life that are really, really important to you and your family, as well as your professional goals and aspirations. It's really looking to see how everything that occurs in your life, no matter what element it is, correlates to each other. So I say that by saying you're going for a run and you're like, I can't do it anymore. I physically can't do it. It's actually all mental. And that you can take in any aspect of your life. I am not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't look this way. I don't act this way. You can if you change the narrative in your mind. If you have that perspective and understanding, what are ways in which you find clarity of your mind? For me, it's hitting the gym every morning. That is my me time. That's my space. And that is an activity that I have personally found clears my mind and gets me going for the day. For others, it could be Netflix. It could be reading a book. It could be calling a parent or a friend. But I really suggest finding what gives you that sense of mental clarity because it's all in your head. That is super powerful. And I think so many folks are other centered and they're givers and they're working to further the goals of their corporation, please their boss, grow their leadership, take care of family. And they miss that moment or moments or that hour in the morning to take care of self. Yep. One of the things I try to remember as an entrepreneur and a, and a business person with a, with a busy calendar as well is if you don't take care of you, then you're less equipped to take care of others. 100%. And that's something that that I think is great. So I, I love that answer and appreciate it uh, very much. One of the things that um, as a leader, which you are, I would love your observations on what you think makes a empowering, empathetic leader, right? And then we'll get into some of the things specific about you. But what are some of the things that you respect? What are some of the things and leaders you've worked with that has motivated you to go to that next level? 100% the number one thing I would recommend to anyone, which is probably the hardest thing, it's vulnerability. So how do you open that invisible door? There's a perception of you as a leader, as an individual, as you well know through the diversity movement, the unconscious bias, we all have that. But how do you actually change that narrative? And it's being vulnerable about yourself. Um, so an exercise I had done once I had just become CEO. So it's been what a fresh one month in like three days. <laughs> so last week I had the privilege of being vulnerable in front of the entire agency, half of which I've known, half of which we have welcomed into the family during COVID. So I haven't had the opportunity to bond and get that FaceTime. And the exercise is called the river of life. Um, that my executive coach, Rabila Gupta, had shared with me through a book called Leadership Presence. And it absolutely changed my mind. Um, and again, everything's back to your mind, right? But this exercise, um, and I will tell anyone on the street about this because I, I really think it's a game changer. You draw out moments of your life, milestones from that you can remember from childhood all the way up into where you are now. And you have to draw it because it utilizes another part of your brain. And then you reflect on it and you share it with others. So when I shared my story, I, I shared things all the way from my parents are immigrants from Nepal. We have experienced X, Y, and Z. We had experienced some poverty growing up and things of that nature that you know folks may not outwardly just say to anyone. Um, all the time as leaders, you're told, get to know your people, get to know them inside and out. And I, I certainly practice that and agree with that. But until you actually open that door about yourself, you're not making that true connection. 
I loved that exercise. I won't lie. My heart rate was through the roof. My Apple Watch was like, girl, did you just go for a run? Like what just happened? Um, but it was, it was a fantastic experience. So I think vulnerability is really what folks would appreciate and need in a leader. That is so powerful. And one of the things that you mentioned that I want to unpack a little bit mm-hmm. is that you are a new CEO. That doesn't mean you're a new leader. You've been a leader for a number of years throughout the different work you've done. But this is the first opportunity for you to run the complete business from an agency perspective end to end. What has that journey been like to get to that point? And how have you broken through that glass ceiling, right, where there are so few based on percentages, women leaders running businesses, women leaders of color that are making uh, their, their mark in a business sense? What are some of the things that that you would share that have attributed to your rise? I mean, if we just take like a beat here and to talk about breaking the glass ceiling as a woman with the man who has helped me break the glass ceiling, this is happening. But I think that 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 is one of the biggest things is finding your people, finding your mentor, finding people that see your value and keep you going and moving. Everything takes a village. So having a community support of friends, of family, Getting a mentor in the space is absolutely imperative. I have some that I have kept from the very beginning of my career as an intern through now. And and to make sure that as you evolve in your career, you reach back and you do that to others. It's really cool to see it full circle when you can contribute to someone else's success um, and their life story. You know, there were a lot of interesting milestones that I had hit as an Asian American woman. I have always been told oh, you're how old? You look like a baby. You're so young. And again, it's what you look like or you're perceived. Oh, you're Asian American. Like you must be really good at math. Like, why aren't you a doctor or an engineer? And let me tell you, everyone else in my family is. So, you know, that's cool. They, they, they hit the mark for me. <laughs> uh, but those, again, those biases that you are born with based on what you look or how you may present yourself. And I think it's, it's just, it's, it's finding ways for me I had parents that were incredible problem solvers. They never looked at a problem the same way as like the majority. My parents always said, look at it differently. How else can you do it? Almost if you were upside down, right? And so I learned I needed to find other ways to showcase my value and my worth. So it's never giving up, but being really creative in showcasing how you contribute things. In any relationship, no matter what, you have to earn trust and earn respect. My parents came from a very humble background and they worked really hard to get where they are. So I knew I couldn't just expect or demand something. I had to earn it. And I had to earn it by working my bottom off and showing commitment, but showing results. Tie what you do to something you can show and share. Show your actual value. There's no better ROI than that. Um, I want to just repeat that for I'm writing as fast as I can talk. I'm glad this is being recorded. Tie what you do to what you can show and tell. And a lot of times leaders that are emerging are frustrated with their manager or other folks because they're working so hard behind the scenes. No one sees how much I'm trying, how much effort I'm giving. When there's also that point of revelation that you have to be able to demonstrate that what you're doing drives dollars to the business, mm-hmm. right? And those things now allow something to speak for you when you don't have the voice necessarily to speak for yourself because everyone respects results, right? And any way you can do that, what you can show and what you can share, 
uh, is a way to help that. And I appreciate that that very much. You also mentioned uh, Ravila Gupta. And as mm-hmm. one of the folks that that played a part in, in you growing as a, as a leader, uh, my role is board chair at, at Walk West. But we talked and we came to the realization that, yes, I, I believe I'm a good mentor and, and helper, but there were some other things that you need. So we brought on Ravila as an executive coach. Talk about that experience of working with a another established leader, but having a very disciplined coaching relationship. And how did that work for you to kind of augment the things you needed to grow? That's such a great point. In looking at the mentors that you have, differentiate. And even, you know, have some ones that are not like you and don't think like you. You and I have a lot in common. We have a lot of differences. And I can't tell you how much, I mean, I moved from New York to North Carolina because of you, your entrepreneurial spirit. I had not experienced that before and learned that before, right? Now in Ravila, I was given the privilege of working with someone who looked like me. She's an Asian American female who broke ceilings in a much more difficult climate and, and time. And it inspired me to know, okay, you know what? She did it. I can do it. How did you do it? What did you learn? And just getting every nugget of information you can. Um, she, I can't speak. There aren't even words to express my gratitude, but at how skilled she is at what she does. Um, when you do your river of life exercise, you know, someone's supposed to give you a word to, to describe you. And hers is Houdini. I mean, engineer, lawyer, mother coach. She, she can do it all. She's her title should be in, inspirer. <laughs> She's just an inspiration. Um, but really to reinforce differentiating, it's like your, your investments, you differentiate your portfolio, differentiate everything, the company that you keep in your friendships, the folks that you hire, make sure that you really have an eclectic, diverse group of perspectives and folks that can see different things and appreciate different things in you to teach you new lessons. That is that is wonderful. And and I tell you, I have a big appreciation for Ravila because as a leader, one of the things I've learned, and it took me a while to gain the humility to execute against this, is that you don't have all the answers for your team. And your job is to help find the answers with your team. And once I understood that, it took some pressure off me. Um, And then I became more curious about who could help lift the knowledge that we were gaining versus me having to be that answer person every step of the way. And some folks feel that way, but it's just not the way to scale. And it's certainly not the way to build a diverse team. And which leads me to my next question. Let's now talk about diversity, equity, inclusion in practice. What are some of the things that you're doing within the organization that you now lead to create an inclusive environment that affects the quality of delivery of services and and brand work that you're doing for your clients? It's the people. It's all about the people. But, you know, to tell people every day, I say, bring bring your authentic self. We hire who we hire because of their life experiences. So at Walk West, you're not going to see tried and true marketers who've done the same thing for 20 years. We have people who are small business owners, who are entrepreneurs, who have done completely different life experiences because those experiences can be applied to solve business problems. We're hiring people and having people of an inclusive mindset to look at problems differently and provide different solutions. So it really is in that hiring process, too, of don't exclude people that don't have A, B, C, and D. That's not what it's about anymore. It's about getting to meet the person, hear their story, ask about their story, and understand 
do those experiences correlate to the outcomes that we're looking to make together? How does this person fit within this grander pool that we have collaborating at WalkWest? So that's part one with the people that we have in. Part two, again, is being authentic. And I had to be vulnerable to encourage people to be their authentic selves, right? So I think what was really interesting for me is I've been at WalkWest for several years and I came in through different positions. And the viewpoint of me is different when I come in as a director to when I'm a CEO. And I was coached by many people to say, listen, the second you get those three letters, like people are going to look at you different. And I said, what? No, like I've known these people. No, everyone was right. It's true. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I think what's really important is like you can't change who you are or lose who you are because of your title. You still have to deliver to your expectations and be your authentic self to encourage people to be their authentic self. So that was really what was important for me to do the river of life and be vulnerable so that I can encourage folks to be vulnerable and comfortable at work. When you are comfortable, when you feel included, when you feel heard, you contribute the best work that you can do. And there's nothing more fulfilling to me. I'm one of the leaders that is like, you have great people and you just get out of the way, right? And you're there for them and you're a guiding light. But I love seeing the team collaborate. I love hearing their laughter. Um, I love the impromptu happy hours that will have in someone's office where all of us are squished in one space with a bottle of champagne. It's just encouraging that camaraderie and that comfort so that you can really contribute. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. In Underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order Underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. That is powerful. I want to transition and now look through a business lens. You are the leader of an agency that a phrase I will use punches above, above its weight. It's a small boutique firm, but some of your clients are global organizations that have trusted you with their brand. What are some of the things that you think about as a marketer, as a communicator, right, to help brands tell their story in a more powerful way? You know, a differentiator for any organization, in any industry is care. So for an example, I worked in the finance industry and anyone can, can correlate to this and empathize with this. Most banks offer the same exact thing, right? And you're going to go down to what's the APR, what's the, what are the interest rates? You're going to go down to those nitty gritty things, but there are a lot of the times they're going to be quite similar. So what is actually going to keep you somewhere? It's the care, it's the relationships, it's the trust. So with our clients and our prospects, what we must have them know is that we care about their business. So you have to do the research into what is the industry? What are the pain points? You have to actually be the consumer that they are trying to sell to. What are you trying to solve? What message actually breaks through the clutter? It's with that level of care that you can actually keep a relationship, any relationship for that matter. Um, and that is that is behooves us as marketers. But frankly, again, in any industry, 
to actually care about your client and their customers? The, the thing that resonates with me is how you integrated that care, relationship, and trust with growing the business objectives for a company, right? Because a lot of times someone will think about marketing and they'll think about, get me more hits on my website. Right, get my conversion higher. Right, I need to be ranked higher on on Google. Right, and they have these tactical things, and they're all important. Right, these are measures, but the measures come after somebody feels comfortable engaging with your brand. Right, right? and that comes back to care and relationship and trust. And I and I love those those acronyms. What are some other examples that you would leverage or share right with our audience when they're thinking about now their individual brand? as a leader, as an emerging person in business that maybe correlates to some of the things that we're working on with companies? You need to ask people a few words. How would you define me? Get people's perspectives because you think you know who you are <laughs> and you're going to have those what moments when you engage other folks to the conversation. Whether you're sharing the river of life I mentioned, whether it's a long trusted friend, whether it's a a cousin, an aunt, again, get a diverse portfolio of people and perspectives. It could be someone you just met at coffee in line. What is their perception of you? And how do you define your brand? What What is the promise that you can say you give to people? So there's actually a brand pyramid exercise I love to do. And you have your differentiators at the bottom, right? And a lot of them can overlap. So I can say, I'm a mother of two. I care. Some people may have those other differentiators, right? Nutritionist, whatever it is. Then you go into actual emotional and functional benefits. So what do you provide as a functional support and what do you provide as an emotional support? Next one up in the pyramid is personality. How would someone actually define you, right? What are characteristics that you have? And at the very top is your brand promise. What do you promise across the board in all of the many hats that you wear? So for me, as a wife, a CEO, a mother, you know, a nutritionist, whatever it is, my promise is committed to you because when I am in that moment with you, no matter who I am, I am committed to the situation. I am committed to the people and I'm committing to do whatever it is that I need to do to get things done. So really just sitting and it's, it's, it's weird, right? It's so much easier to reflect on other people, but be vulnerable with yourself, gather that input and don't be afraid of what you're going to find because it's only going to make you better. I think 360s are super powerful too, Donald. Um, and 360s are, again, whether that's family members, friends, or in the business realm, asking folks that you manage, that are managing you, that are mentors, give them a couple of the same questions and gather in that feedback and read it and sit with it. And you would be shocked at what you learn about yourself. One of the things that's powerful about being able to do that is number one, it takes humility and vulnerability to be able to do it because all the information you receive, I've participated in those, is not <laughs> right. <Nope. laughs> myself, right? Like mm -hmm. this is great, this is great, this is great, this not so much. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm gonna go have some wine now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it does start to create a prescription of how you can improve and be better and be more present. And when I got to the point in my career where I wanted to be the most effective leader and that became the goal, then it became much easier for me to accept well-founded critique and coaching, right? Yeah. From people that thoughtfully and, and purposely wanted me to succeed, but knew I had some areas that were holding me back. Yeah. But until I developed that maturity to think about what is my impact? What is my responsibility, 
right, to the folks that I lead, it was a little bit more of a struggle to look introspectively. And I think, you know, it's interesting, like as we evolve, as we grow, our roles change. So one thing Ravila told me that was very interesting that really just resonated with me was you're so used to doing. You are a doer. You see a problem and you you go do it and you fix it. But a lot of being a leader is letting your team solve the problem, right? So in being aware that you may have these strengths that you have really sharpened in your toolbox over the years, whether it's building timelines or scopes or pitches, but sometimes you just have to get out of the way (laughs) and get some new tools that you need to refine. So before it used to be, what can I do to be better? How do I make myself better to stand out from the crowd? Now I look at it as what can I be doing to better my people? So it's not really more of bettering me per se. What's a new skill? I What's the latest thing I have to read or do or course? Like that's great. But I have to think as a leader, what can I be doing or giving my people so that they can be better? That is wonderful. Last question. For other ceiling breakers, for other emerging leaders that are listening to this and those folks that are working with emerging what would be the key points of advice, right? Bucket one, the emerging leader. And then bucket two, those folks that are mentoring and developing leaders. What are some of the points of advice you would give, right, to each one of those those folks? So for bucket one, um, those who are looking to break the glass ceiling, don't stop, don't quit. It's going to be hard. There's going to be moments that can maybe crush you, but you will eventually see those only made you stronger. You have to keep going. And for me, it was having children, having younger cousins, family members. Who are you fighting for? Find your why, find your fodder. So when you have those moments of self-doubt or you know things of that nature that are negative, find your fodder and don't stop and keep going. Get creative. Um, there isn't one linear way to do something. There's many different ways to accomplish it. And do it the way that you want to do it. So I mean that by saying folks say you do this and then you do this and then you do this to earn this, right? Do it in the way that is real and authentic to you. You don't have to be somebody else to succeed. Honestly, for me, Donald, I always wondered, could I ever be a CEO? I feel like I have to change who I am. And that was a legit identity crisis moment for me where I had said, that's a deal breaker. I I have to be who I am and show my children it's okay to be who I am. I'm I'm empathetic. I'm a feeler. I'm a laugher. I'm all of, I'm a hugger. You know what I mean? And those are three things that are not typical in a traditional CEO. I must gonna say they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. Right. And I was worried, goodness, like, do I have to really be more stiff or dress differently or talk differently to, to be in this role? And if that's the case, like that's not for me. And fortunately I had the right mentors and folks in the space to say, no, like, you are succeeding because of who you are. So don't lose yourself along the way. Do it. And and that will differentiate you by doing it your way versus what you see others have done. I think for those who are incredible and reaching back and helping and nurturing, it's that encouragement. It's that mentorship. It's providing those opportunities for growth and success. So whether it's taking someone along with you to an event, whether it's thinking of them when there is a course, whether it is getting them other connections to meet with, but, you know, constantly just help push people out of their comfort zone. I think with you and Revila, 
y'all pushed me out of my comfort. Like I'm saying y'all not too, because that's right. Y'all <laughs> pushed me out of my comfort zone. And you know, you need to go do this. You need to go have that conversation. You need to have the tough moments and the tough learnings to truly grow. It isn't always just, you know, kumbaya, go get it. That's necessary. But what are the actual difficult things that you need to tell someone, give feedback on, and ask them to do to experience and grow? That is awesome. And I'm going to let that be the, the last word. I am proud of you. I am energized by what you're doing and what you're becoming. And, you know, the more I'm out and about town, people are like, do you know Abba Bowers? I was like, yes, I, I, I do. <laughs> I, now you know how it feels, Donald. <laughs> I, 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 I do know Abba. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to understand more about nutrition, if they want to understand more about Walk West, how do, how do folks get in touch with Abba Bowers and team? You can send me an email at abowers at walkwest.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me. I'm everywhere. That is awesome. Abba, thank you for your time, your candor, your energy. And we'll do it again, but I'm a super fan. And uh, and the best is yet to come for you and for Walk West. Well, Donald, thank you for the opportunity. All right. That was Abba Bowers, CEO of Walk West. Abba mentioned how her conversations with her executive coach have changed her leadership style. And on the second part of this episode, we have that executive coach, my friend, Ravila Gupta, who shares her experiences with climbing the corporate ladder, being the only one in the room for most of her career, and now mentoring the next generation of leaders. Here's Ravila. So um, I actually grew up in French Canada, so I grew up uh, in Montreal and had a life where I went to French schools, but spoke French, eventually made my way back back to the U.S. But I say that my career is really broken down into three decades. Uh, the first decade, I was a chemical engineer, uh, worked in pulp and paper mills and, um, you know, worked uh, worked also as an environmental engineer. And it was during that period of time that I, I had a few experiences where I said, you know, I think I need to go to law school uh, and really sort of understand the rules of the game of business, because that's what I thought lawyers actually came to the table with. So I went to law school at Central in Durham and did their evening program. Uh, and I was an attorney for another decade uh, and um, in private practice in a general counsel. And while I was general counsel of Umicore USA, a Belgian-based materials technology company, I was actually promoted to their president. So I went from a general counsel to a C-suite role. So my last 10 years of my career have been in CEO roles um, in C-suite roles. So. So I really kind of break it down into these three different decades, and they all bring me a very unique perspective on how I, what I bring to the table from a business perspective. So. That is powerful. One of the things I want to seize on, that's a big jump, right, to leave yeah. corporate America, you're making good money, all these different things, and go to law school. Mm -hmm. How was that experience, and did you do that while working full-time? I did, actually. So I went to night law school, and my son was six years old at the time I started. So I very quickly learned a very important lesson that um, if you want to do it, you can make the time to make it happen. So when people say to me, I don't have the time to do it, I'm like, actually, you do. Um, you can prioritize and you can make things happen. So I was working full time. My son was six years old, so I was dealing with all the things that came with that. And I was doing night law school. So, so I learned a really important lesson about prioritizing and focus and making things happen. So. And as we fast forward into the future, tell us a little bit about the Bocce Group, what your role is, what some of the principal things that you deliver to clients, and then we'll kind of dig into some leadership elements. 
Sure, sure. So the Bagshi Group is a sister company to a, an existing law firm, Bagshi Law. Um, my business partner and I um, really kind of brainstormed, like, wouldn't it be great to have the sort of law firm of the future where not only it was just legal services, but it was all the other things that businesses look for to help them contain and manage and mitigate business risk. So my business partner is providing legal services and I am doing business um, and executive services. So I work on strategic planning. I work on you know, growth, helping them grow their companies. I do a significant amount of coaching of CEOs of our clients as well. So um, so it's a sort of one-stop shop for all the services that a growing business might need. One of the things that, um, and I've used executive coaches in my personal development. Uh, I'm for, fortunate now to have a lot of experiences under my belt, and I do a little bit of coaching on, on the side. What are some of the business value drivers that executive coaching delivers, right? People have heard of it. But like, it's not expensive when you think about the value, but how do you share that with folks, right? Such that they understand what that coaching relationship really would look like and feel like. Yeah, so I think a lot of people come to me um, sort of having heard that a coach is a really good idea, but they're not really sure why they need it or if they need it. And then sometimes the price tag is like, is this really worth it, right? Um, so what I do with all my clients is I, I just say, hey, let's just have a session. Uh, you know, just let's just talk. I'm going to give you what it feels like to talk with a coach. Uh, and once I go through that session, uh, they're like, OK, sign me up. My my experience with executive coaching came from when I was um, president and CEO of Umicore USA. And I got a lot of feedback that I was very directive. And I thought to myself, like, is that not my role? Am I not supposed to tell people what to do? Like, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And I quickly found out like, yeah, that's not your role anymore. Right. Uh, and then I had a coach and I kept thinking about like, she really was able to get answers out of me without telling me what to do. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. So I actually went to coaching school. I went to NC State has a coaching certificate program. So while I was running Umicore, I went to NC State and I learned to be a coach and I learned how to ask questions. So then that uh, over time evolved my my management leadership style because I really realized that I had to become the coach of my my team. I had to learn to learn to be in that role. So that's that's where my interesting or my you know my 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 interesting coaching came from is because I saw that I saw how powerful it was for me and I realized that I can help others because I've had that experience. And I think in my case, because I was in that role, I was, I was, I am a CEO. I understand the the loneliness that comes with the role and the sort of sense of like, okay, I got to this level. What am I doing now? Like, what's my value now that I bring to the organization? Because it really shifts. Um, so I think because I've been there, done it, I can I can really empathize with the experiences that my clients are going through now. I think it's very powerful. A couple of things in particular, right? Number one when you see the need for a new skill, you find the education and you go get it, you go after it. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, as a competitive learner myself, I'm very similar in, yeah. in that regard, right? We don't come pre-wired that I have it all, but I do feel the competency to learn what I need and to go and chase it. The second thing that I'd like to dig into when we're looking at folks, why do I need it? Do you deal with folks that are forced to get a coach? And, and how is that different than someone that kind of proactively seeks it out? Mm-hmm. There's a, I, I have found in my, my experience, there's a difference when an HR executive sends their, sends their executives to me and they say, this person needs coaching. 
I find that to be very different because then you're really, your accountability and your reporting is to the HR executive as opposed to the, the person being coached. So it's, I just find it's a different relationship because you're, it's, it, it feels a little more transactional at times um, because you're, you're given a person and there's certain objectives. It's still rich. It's still rewarding. But there's another person in the relationship that you have to report to and, and, and show progress. So it's just different when when people come to me because they find me and they're they're the CEO and the executive and they realize they need something or I get referred a lot as well. It's a different relationship because we're setting objectives on our own as opposed to being told what they are. No, that's that's powerful. One of the things that the diversity movement, when we look at gender, we look at race, sexual orientation, different things, there is still this construct of a communication gap between the way that men view the world, the way women view the world, and that, that lens of business and how we interrelate to one another. So it's a two-part question. So one, what are some of the things that you had to work through and overcome right, as a woman executive reaching the heights of business? And then what should your male counterparts, what should I better understand, right, about working with mentoring, growing women leaders? You know, I was probably, and and there's many women in my generation that have experienced this, but we were always the only ones, right? So the only only one at the boardroom table, the only one in the group that was uh, a female. You know, I came up as a chemical engineer in the 80s. I was one of the few women in my graduating class. I was always the only female engineer uh, in, the, in the chemical plants and things like that. So, so for me, I, you know, it's being the only one, there wasn't some other woman that I could lean on or we could have conversations about. So I had to sort of analyze, well, how do I function in this group of men? Um, how do I, how do I get them to hear me? Things like that. So I really, really learned the lesson of um, when you do speak, make it powerful. And so a lot of times women say they don't, or women are, are, told they don't speak up enough or things like that. So I, I really spent time sort of making sure that when I did speak, uh, I said things with authority. Um, I actually went to a speech coach at one point in time to learn to better um, communicate and to better have, you know, gravitas in my voice when I spoke and things like that. So I spent a lot of time working on that. And, and, and this is a tough thing for women that I wasn't emotional, but that I spoke with logic and um, I spoke with a sense of authority. That's powerful. And the second part of the question is, what what can us men <laughs> learn, learn to do and be better at creating a better environment for women leaders to grow and thrive? Yeah, I think I think um, inviting women in um, there sometimes can be sort of a click around the, like the men because it sometimes can involve let's go out and play golf or let's go out for drinks or something like that. And, and sometimes women are not going to participate in those those activities. And it's just being aware that, okay, this particular executive isn't going to join us there. What can we do to make sure that she is included? I'm sure they're not thinking that like Reveal is not going to go play golf, right? They're not thinking that, but they it's just naturally what happens, I would get excluded. So that's one thing definitely is to is to just be aware of how can I invite um, invite this woman executive into and, and, and create an environment where, where where she's sort of like doesn't feel like she's doing something that doesn't feel right at that point in time. So you know how do how do you how do you create environments where where women are included? One of the things that is similar 
and I, I don't want to say it's the same, it's similar, is I certainly, as, as, a, as a Black executive in the technology space, went through periods of time of being the only one, right? Years mm -hmm. in my career in, in, in high-level enterprise sales and different things of that nature. One of the things that I don't think we do enough of in society is teach those of us that are the only how to operate in those rooms mm -hmm. without a chip on our shoulder. Right. Because that it comes across, right? And so I was on a podcast and the gentleman asked me this question and how I was able to do that. And with all the things I'd experienced from a race perspective, right, why wasn't I mad all the time? And I said, well, I said a couple things is that my goals superseded my anger. And so I knew that I had to come across in a certain way. People can call it covering. People can call it whatever they want. I knew that there were certain things I had to do to get my message across to be effective. And, and that's something that, you know, as we're doing more recruiting at HBCUs, as we're doing more of creating more women's initiatives and different things, the thing I think is missing is how to help those in underserved communities realize that you are going into it a different environment and that everything's not a personal slight. It's maybe people don't understand how to relate to you with you. They're a little bit, bit afraid. What are some thoughts or points of advice you would give to that person that's the only that they can do different, better, more. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That idea of walking in with a chip on your shoulder is, is going to alienate you from others. Um, what I did a lot of is I told people my story. You know, my parents came over to the U.S. in the 60s from India, and they were they were the first ones, one of the first ones to come over. In fact, my dad was given the key to the city in Boulder, Colorado, because he was one of the first in, you know, Indians to come and, and get a Ph.D. So I used my story as trying to show that I'm unique. I, I used to get a lot of, you know, people didn't understand where India was. They didn't understand what, you know, like this sort of stuff. So what I did is I made it easy for people. I told stories about, you know, what, what being Indian meant to me. I invited them in and, you know, talked about my trips. I, I once did a slideshow about my trip to India and I showed everybody what it was like. So I, I, I brought them into my world and tried to explain, you know, I, I'm, Indian origin, but grew up in a French-speaking province and came to this, the southern United States. So I'm a mixture of all kinds of different things. So it's, you couldn't label me if you tried. Uh, and so I just tried to explain what my journey has been and what what experiences I had along the way. And I never came in with you know my gender or my or my race at all. I, I entered in with Rabila and her experiences and what I'm able to do, what I've able, what I've been able to accomplish in my life, and things like that. So. I, I really, I, I really try to bring people into my world and show them my perspective of my of the road I've traveled on. That is that is awesome, and what a great way to frame it. You told people your story, and we all love storytellers. We're all interested in a unique story, right? That's marketing 101. That's branding 101, right? Like when you think, but a lot of times we think about it at a corporate level, but not what you did was personalized it, right? At an individual level, which is super powerful. Who are some of the leaders that you admire that you have taken things from uh, and, and have wanted to emulate over the years? So I, what I have done over the years is um, I have taken uh, something from all of my, my bosses. I've had mostly male bosses, but every single one of them, I feel like showed up in my life at the right time to teach me a lesson. And what I did, even as a, as a young engineer, is I sat and I thought about what is the lesson I'm learning from this particular leader? Um, and so I can I can kind of go back through all my all my bosses and, and bring lessons 
I think the most impactful for me was uh, at, at Umicore, uh, there was a, a, a senior, very senior executive, female executive that kind of became my sponsor at the company and took me under her wing uh, and taught me a lot. But she opened doors for me that would not normally have been opened for me. So I learned a very important lesson and admired her, I admired her tremendously because of what she did for me. And I realized that that is something I can do for others and have been doing as a result of that. So, so I'd say, you know, in terms of, of like leaders in my own personal life, um, every single boss of mine has, has contributed to who I am today. Um, and certain ones were uh, more impactful in the, in the sense that they opened a lot of doors for me. So. You used the very, you used the word intentionally in describing humor for experience sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Right. You didn't say mentorship. You didn't say coach. You said sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit because that there's a sometimes people use them interchangeably, but I don't but they're not interchangeable. Yeah. Sponsorship. Yeah. Sponsorship is very different than a mentor. A sponsor is somebody that um, identifies you and uh, literally opens doors and provides you a seat at the table that you normally wouldn't have gotten on your own. So a mentor is going to teach you things. They're going to give you lessons. They're going to help you develop your skill set. A sponsor is somebody that will talk about you in the room when you're not there. And that's the important thing. So I, I tell a lot of women leaders, try to look or try to see if there is a potential sponsor in your life. Because it is that person that is going to drop your name in a boardroom that is going to be really critical because then they'll say, Oh, who is that person? And then, then suddenly you're invited into, into conversations and meetings. So it, it, and it's somebody that can fast track your career as well. So to the extent people can find sponsors and it's, and I shouldn't say find them, the, the sponsors identify you um, and, and work for you on your behalf. So to the extent you have somebody in your life like that, it can really make an impact quickly. I really appreciate that dis- distinction, right? The sponsor helps you get traction with actual opportunities that you wouldn't know about or even know how to prepare for. There have been sponsors in my life that have said, hey, Don, there's a new initiative coming up. I think you'd be great for it. However, here are a couple things you're going to need to be ready. I'll open the door. Here's the homework you need to do. So in a month or two, when you're at this meeting and it comes up, I need you to be prepared this way. Okay, like, why are we talking about a meeting next quarter? But that's what a sponsor does because they know the time horizon of the business, the politics of the business, the promotion tracks. In this case, right, a sponsor of of mine knew another executive was leaving and they were going to want to promote responsibility within and expand somebody's theater. And so for the time that I was at a big company, 10,000 plus person company for about two and a half years, I was very fortunate to have some really good sponsors that we're kind of looking out uh, for my progress and, and those things. What are some of the lessons learned that you would share with executive coaches in terms of, and here's really the, the question, right? You and I are having that initial conversation. All coaching situations don't go great. What are, what are some of the things that you've learned in coaching situations that haven't met the mark and what could have been done different? Yeah. So the number one lesson I've learned is fit is critical. I could put a sign out there and get lots of people that want to, you know, want to be coached for based just based on my experience of what I have. But fit is is a hundred percent what's gonna is necessary. And that's why I when I meet people that want to get engaged in coaching with me, I always do a session 
together because I've got to see if it works for me and more importantly, if it works for them. And at the end of the session, I'm like, what do you think? They can make a decision and and my feelings don't get hurt at all. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then I'll refer them to other people that I think might be better. So that's the number one lesson I've learned with coaching. You know, and one thing I do in all my sessions at the end of a session, I always ask uh, what a good takeaway was because I have them go back and rethink through what we talked about rather than just end with goodbye. Um, and I find if if I'm not, if, if we're not getting really good takeaways, um, they're superficial, then I have to sort of rethink like there's some there's something here where it's not it's not resonating. We're not getting really, really powerful takeaways to them, at least. Um, so then I have a conversation around that as well. So. No, I, I think that's powerful. I, I really appreciate it. One last question for me, and then I'm going to give you some space if I've, I've missed anything that, that we've, we've chatted. So I'm going to zoom out kind of into our world a little bit. And <clears throat> there is political discord, right? Like if I say the sky is blue, there's 50% of the people is like, what shade of blue? Is that blue? What's the definition of blue? Like it's just very combative out there in the, in the world today. Uh, we're coming out of a pandemic, inflation economy. There's just a lot of things for folks to be be worried, different things. How do business leaders and people, how do you encourage people to stay centered with all the different kind of macro elements that can distract any of us? How do you help those that you're working with stay focused on the goals that they have pushing through without the outside factors really driving, driving the joy out of the chase? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. I mean, Donald, that's a that's a great question um, and a very important question. So part of what I do with my coaching is it would be really easy to go and have just a fun conversation with my my coaching clients because they're fascinating people, right? Um, so what I always do is is to have them come back to the goal and objective. So if we're sort of veering off and like, okay, let's get back to this. What is getting in the way? What is the issues? What are the concerns? Those type of things. So the role is of the coach. In those conversations, it's have them say laser focused on what it is they wanted to accomplish. And so you become an accountability partner for your 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 coaching client. Uh, and sometimes it's not fun because it's like, well, you know, you said you do this. Where are we with this? So it's the one person in their lives that's holding them completely accountable to their goals. Their goals may change and that's fine. But I'm holding them accountable and, and, and talking about what what the concerns are, what's getting in the way, what's. So it's, it's um, you know, like I said, it'd be great to just have conversations because they're really great people to chat with, but um, that's not my job in their, in their, in their lives right now. So, um, so I just have, I, I stay hyper-focused on them to make sure that they are staying hyper-focused on their goals as well. So That's powerful. How can folks get in touch with you? What's the best way, if somebody listened to this and wanted to get in touch with Revila, how, how would they network with you? How would they get in touch with you? Sure, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn uh, is great. Um, ping me on LinkedIn. I'll always get back to people. Um, but, I, you know, my, my firm is Bagshi Group. Um, and you can take a look at the website. Um, but, yeah, um, go ahead and ping me on LinkedIn, and I, I definitely will respond. So. Sounds awesome. My friend, this has been amazing. I have been looking forward to chatting. I thank you for the work we've done together. And not to go into those details, but but that sincere thank you is, is very real. And, and, and and, and one of the things I, w- I would share as a last word to executives is that when you invest in executive coaching for uh, folks within your organization, you get to talk to the coach too. And, and, I, and I got to learn and glean a lot of lessons just along the way and, and watching how you operated. 
uh, that have been a real blessing to me as well. So Rabila, thanks for having us uh, take some time together. And it was great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for the, the opportunity, Donald. Enjoyed it tremendously.